1: Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest listening to Channel Africa giving you news from an African perspective we're broadcasting live from Johannesburg on the frequencies 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa and online on www.channelafrica.co.za I'm Amanda Machaka driving the show with Jolane Tulo with Sani Matebula and Musibudi Makura Top stories on Africa Digest the majority of Basutu want Lesotho to establish a union with South Africa. The 2017 inter Demographic Survey for Zimbabwe shows an increase in the infant mortality. In economics, South Africa's finance minister says the outlook for tax revenues remains unchanged and in sport, Mamelode Sundowns uh, look to get a favorable result in tonight's CAF Champions League tie. But first, the news with Jolani.
2: Thank you, Amanda. Good afternoon. Three suspected jihadists have been killed and one captured on Tuesday in a pre-dawn raid by security forces on a house in Burkina Burkina Faso's capital, Ouagadougou. A member of the special unit which carried out the raid died of his wounds and five other people uh, were injured. It said in a statement... Police also said in the statement uh, six assault rifles, explosives and detonators, military clothing, mobile phones and some cards and a notebook with writing in Arabic were found. Burkina Faso is in the grip of a three-year-old jihadist insurgency that has killed scores of people and driven thousands from their homes. The United Nations says violence in Libya is having a devastating impact on health care. A report by the UN Human Rights Agency says hospitals are routinely being attacked and looted, with their corridors becoming the scene of shootings. Rebels often force doctors at gunpoint to give preferential treatment to their injured fighters and relatives. The BBC's Rana Jawad has the details.
3: In the past year, the UN recorded at least 36 attacks by militias on medical facilities, staff and patients across Libya, but they believe the real number of cases could be significantly higher. Those carrying out the assaults include armed groups who are nominally allied to the government. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Zeid Raad al-Hussein, says violations that include directing attacks against hospitals and personnel may constitute war crimes.
2: South Africa's opposition P.A.C. has called on government authorities to declare the 25th of May a public holiday as the African continent commemorates the establishment of the Organisation of African Unity, OAU, which later became the AU. Spokesperson Kenneth Mukhatle says the P.A.C. will mobilise through all media platforms for the day to become a public holiday. He says this because the year 1963, which was when the OAU was established, is a significant year as it was declared a free year elaborates.
4: The formation of Organization of African Unity, which is the metamorphosis of African Union, is a symbol of hope for Africa. The 25th of May promises us that one day we will as an African continent, overcome the imperialism that we are today experiencing by both the West and the Asian countries who continue to control our own economy, hence the circumstances that the African people uh, found themselves in today.
2: Officials in Kandahar in southern Afghanistan say at least 16 people have been killed and nearly 40 injured in a blast in the southern city of Kandahar. Initial reports say explosives were hidden inside two containers in a market. The blast was so powerful that the majority of the wounded were civilian uh, passers-by outside the cleared area. No group has claimed responsibility. Health officials in the South Indian state of Kerala say 10 people are now known to have died after being infected with the rare Nipah virus. Two others who have tested positive for the virus are critically ill. Some 40 people have been put into quarantine following the deaths. One of those who who died from the virus is a young nurse, Lini, who cared for infected patients and her story is attracting widespread attention. The BBC's Jill McGivering has more.
5: In photographs, Linny looks a gentle young woman with long dark hair and a shy smile. She became ill after nursing the first patient diagnosed in this latest outbreak of the Nipah virus. She died soon after becoming infected herself. Her family, her husband and two small children, weren't allowed to visit her in hospital. But in a farewell note, now being widely circulated, she said goodbye and told her husband, Take good care of our children. Kerala's chief minister described
2: her service as selfless. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tullo.
1: Thank you, Jolani. The majority of Basutu want Lesotho to establish a union with South Africa. This is according to the findings of a new survey conducted by Afrobarometer, a pan-African research network. The researchers found that 52% of Basutu say Lesotho can only realize meaningful development if it becomes part of South Africa, and this figure reflects an increase from just 40% who were in favor in 2014. Afrobarometer's saying Malifani has more.
6: Yes, we undertook an Afrobarometer survey here in November. The survey started on the 25th of November and ended on the 11th of December. We had specific questions which looked at our relations uh, with South Africa, considering our geographical position and our relations with South Africa. And we had the question about dual citizenship. Because at the moment, the law does not allow Jewish citizenship in Lesotho. So we had a question about uh, what the opinions of the citizens were, considering uh, the law being amended, the constitution being amended to allow Jewish citizenship in general, and in particular with South Africa. And again, there was a question which asked uh, the opinions on whether the citizens think that Lesotho can uh, attain meaningful development uh, if it's not part of South Africa. Uh, We have asked this question in the past surveys, and always less than about 40% would agree with that. But this time, for the first time, it was more than 50%. Yeah, And on the Jewish citizenship we have 72% agreeing with uh, dual citizenship generally with any country, and for South Africa, about 77%.
4: Now, what did you find as uh, the motivating factor for <laughs> people who are considering to migrate to South Africa?
6: Yes, 74% say to look for work. So clearly, unemployment is. a a big factor in in that consideration
4: have you been able to quantify the economic benefits that are being lost uh, as a result of uh, the country not allowing dual citizenship because it seems that the government has noted the loss as uh, the bill has also been put before parliament uh, to amend the constitution to allow for dual citizenship
6: uh, what you can say is that, you know, we have a large diaspora in South Africa, professional and, and otherwise. And when <coughs> there is no dual citizenship, particularly I think in 2012, that is when South Africa became very clear that it was not going to allow anybody to have dual citizenship with South Africa who, with who comes from a country which does not have dual citizenship laws. And I think uh, then a lot of Basutu then who... were holding South African citizenship, had to give up their Lesotho citizenship. And that is a great loss to the country. We are only a a country of two million people. We really cannot afford to lose more people. And the the Basotho who are living in South Africa and working in South Africa do support their families here. And it is a loss economically if now they have to give up their citizenship in this country but I, I cannot give you the figures.
4: What is the latest with regards to the bill that is before Parliament? Uh, when is it going to be debated?
6: The, the, the Minister of Home Affairs were saying That around August, the bill should be uh, debated, but it's already before Parliament now.
4: Which other countries have come up as preferred countries uh, apart from South (laughs) Africa?
6: Botswana, USA, maybe UK. But if 80% is opting for South Africa, you can understand that the other countries, the the ones opting for for those is a very small uh, number.
1: That's Tibuse Malifani Afro Barometer Team Leader in Lesotho on the line from the capital Maseru talking to Kumbero Muzerere. Burundi National Independent Electoral Commission announced on Monday evening that the amendments to the Constitution have been approved by a vote of 73.26% in a controversial referendum held last week. The results were rejected by the opposition, which says it will file a case at the Constitutional Court to invalidate the referendum. Meanwhile, the court has nine days to publish final results. The new constitution constitution allows the beleaguered president Piangurunziza to remain in power till 2034. Bernard Bangurira reports
7: from Buchumbura. This is Pekka Vendaychariye, the chairman of Burundi's National Independent Electoral Commission, on a Monday evening, announcing the official provisional results of the constitutional referendum held last week, May 17th, on a total of more than 4,700,000 registered voters. Mr. Vendaychariye announced that 96.24% turned out to vote and 73.26% voted in favor of the new constitution as 19.34% voted against it. He mentioned the weighted results from the diaspora accounting for 0.27 percent of the country's total voters will not affect the overall figures at the national level for the chairman of the electoral commission the date of May 17th remains the symbol of democracy and national dignity
8: throughout the villages and the neighborhood of Burundi the date of May 17th has been the symbol of a democracy and a national dignity the date has also been celebrated as an outmost expression of political pluralism between the and donor partisans. The people of Burundi have spoken on May 17, 2018. They spoke to themselves and to the war to say they are moving forward slow but sure on rhythm dictated by their historical and cultural background the people of burundi have decided to tell and remind the world that building democracy is a long process difficult but noble voters in favor of yes expressed themselves and so did those in favor of no
7: the chairman of burundi's independent national electoral commission thanked our political stakeholders involved in the process for their contribution to the whole process as the international community and Burundian opposition strongly disapproved the constitutional referendum, Mr. Pierre Cherie says, the process is criticized because it was a real success for Burundians themselves. Allow me to thank
9: political parties and independents involved in the electoral campaign from the 1st to the 4th of May 2018. Here, I'm referring to the 26 political parties and the independent Amizere Barundi who came to register to the headquarters of the national independent election electoral commission to run the campaign. During the campaign, the electrodication on how to vote has been tremendous effort made by both sides during the whole process deserve the appreciation of all. Overall, the campaign has generally respected the law. To have some national political leaders or foreign partners criticizing the May referendum we should, however, understand the process is criticized because it has been a real success on planning
7: political and democratic plan. The Burundi's National Independent Electoral Commission is hailing what has been and continues to be subjected to strong condemnation. The only opposition coalition of independence, Amiz Zeroya Burundi, hope for Brundans, led by the former rebel Lagatun strongly rejected the outcomes of the results. For them, the process was marred by irregularities that could in no way allow free and fair vote. They vote to say the Constitutional Court, as said by Everest Menda, one of the coalition leaders who attended the announcing ceremony on this Monday. <laughs> I have to say I'm surprised to hear the
9: statement because hearing what is said by the chairman of the electoral commission one will think everything is alright but you already know that since the launch of the process you know that people were threatened intimidated people who were locked up or even killed even during the campaign surprisingly they don't say anything on that but instead present things as the best of the world I'm really really appalled we believe the electoral law provides for remedies we will file a
7: case at the Constitutional Court for many seizing the Constitutional Court remains a useless procedural decision which is unlikely to rule in favor of the opposition for every single reminder, they have to do it because the law says so the Constitutional Court has nine days to publish final results after endorsement of provisional results according to the Burundian National Independent Electoral Commission Burundi plunged into a crisis in April 2015 when President Nkurunziza decided to run for a third term which he won in July that year his contention opposed by the opposition and the civil society groups resulted in a wave of protests, violence and even a failed coup in May 2015 pushing for a constitutional review has been strongly opposed by the opposition and the international community who saw it as a trick President Pian Kulunziza concocted to remain on power. One of the key changes is that the new constitution extends the presidential term from five years provided in the 2005 constitution to seven years. Though he has not announced it yet, many believe the approved new constitution opens the doors for him to vie for another consecutive presidential terms to rule the country till 2034. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankukira reporting from Bojumbura.
10: Friday the 25th of May is a special day for our continent. It is Africa Day. Africans commemorate the founding of the Organization of African Unity, now known as the African Union, on the 25th May 1963. It aims to celebrate African Unity. Channel Africa will be part of the celebrations. Join us as we broadcast live from the 9th Tabombeki Africa Day Lecture. So tune into Channel Africa, Friday the 25th of May from 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time on the frequency 3345 kHz on the 36 meter band, when we'll bring you Ms. Pumozile mlambo Under Secretary General and Executive Director of UN Women, the title of her lecture being Gender Equality and Women Development for Africa's Renewal. The time and frequency again, 19 hours to 21 hours Central African time on the frequency 3345 kilohertz on the 36 meter band. Channel Africa, Africa, Africa. bringing you the African perspective.
1: It's 16 minutes after 5 p.m. Central African time. You're listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa. The public service wage agreement between South Africa's government and labor unions is still hanging a while workers are still reflecting on the offer. Yesterday, the country's Minister of Public Service and Administration, Ayanda Lodlo, was expected to announce the conclusion of the wage deal, but instead an official from her office announced that unions have yet to ink the agreement. The proposed accord will secure employees' pay increases of 6% to 7% for their 2018 to 2019 financial years, but a Four unions with close to 40% representation confirmed that their members had rejected the offer, while others were still seeking mandates. Labor and mining analyst Mamchete Ria Molobiane elaborates.
11: The unions that are in the public sector, mostly represented by PSA and Kwasadu-affiliated unions, are unhappy about the, um, the component. That those who are not affiliated to Kwasadu are unhappy about the wage table. They are, of course, using what anybody who is engaged in, in, in negotiations knows is we shall consult our members. Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with it, and it is the right process to say, "Let us consult our members, and then we will take it from there." However, what then becomes, I think, the key issue is that if you read Fedisa's statement on Sunday, it was saying we still need to really engage the length and breadth of our workers. On the other hand, Corsair-affiliated unions are saying, let us sign the agreement. Fedusa and PSA are saying, no, we must still engage and deliberate more on this. So that, of course, has led them, therefore, to what appears to be a stalemate in that two uh, unions that have significant numbers, by the way in public sector are saying we we are not yet ready to sign while Corsair's affiliated unions, which would include how, are ready to sign.
5: Now, yesterday we heard that um, one of the unions, uh, the Hospital Personnel Association of SA, uh, was calling on a government to table a fair wage offer which would address these challenges that have been highlighted uh, by public service employees um, in a very tough economy, might I add, uh, with the recent uh, VAT increase. Now, all things considered, what exactly would be the
11: ideal offer? All things considered, and and as we know, you know the, the workers have always said they prefer an above inflation um, increase. But when you look at the proposed uh, to offer that has been tabled, and it's looking between six to seven percent for twenty eighteen twenty nine, and 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 that government uh, has also offered a wage of plus minus plus one percent related to the C uh, CPI for the next two years. So it looks good. However, Labor is saying we do not think it's sufficient because everything since our last round of negotiations has increased. The food price, the petrol price, every basic meat that we use has mm. increased. Mm. And therefore, you're going to have to come high. And in saying to government, government must come up a little so that, that then the argument becomes... We can start engaging each other when you are presenting to us something that is from 7.3% or 7.5% upwards. Then government through Treasury arguably reminds them already government has a high wage bill. On top of that, as government, we already have an increasing debt. Our debt over the past two years has increased exponentially. Therefore, as the employer, we cannot afford to give you more We are equally as government on the one hand saying to every South African, tighten your belt. And and Mm -hmm. how are we then, therefore, as government, able to afford the higher wage you are asking? And therein lies the breakdown between the employer and the employee. Now, the draft agreement, Mamakati, lapses in uh, 20 days. What happens thereafter? Well, if it lapses, and I hope it doesn't, I I hope by the time the 20 days come, it would have been solved. If it lapses it would mean either the dispute gets more, more entrenched more details and and unions have then the opportunity to declare their, their their desire to strike or to declare the talks have collapsed and as the talks have collapsed for the young, they'll have no choice but to opt for a strike and i say this with with a sentiment that the public sector coordinating bargaining council tscbc I hope it really does everything. All those involved in there must really do everything in the context of our economic reality and the economic reality quality that will affect the workers who are public servants, that if this collapse in 20 days and indeed a strike happens, first of all, I do not know how the economy, given what it is facing now, will be able to sustain a public sector strike.
1: That was Mamchete Ria a Labour and Mining Analyst, talking to Zikona Miso. A 25-year-old Egyptian has been the sensation of the English Premier League. Mohamed Salah is nicknamed the pharaoh. He has scored uh, 44 goals for Liverpool this season and helped them to the Champions League final. Ahead of that match against Real Madrid on Saturday, the BBC's uh, Sadin Abel went to his hometown in Egypt to see if there's uh, more mania there too.
0: I'm standing on a brand new football pitch in rural Egypt. We are in Negrig, Mohamed Salah's hometown. It's about four hours away from the capital Cairo. The pitch is full of young energetic players. They are between 8 and 14 years old. Mohamed Salah's name is on everyone's lips
12: here.
0: When I see him playing, I feel it's me playing. I feel grateful that Salah is from our town.
2: Salah
0: is like a big dream to me. I love Salah and other world footballers too. He's their hero and they follow all his matches. A good few of them are wearing a red jersey with his name and the number 11 on it. And watching them play is the man who first spotted Mohamed Salah's
13: talent.
0: Al-Ghamri is calling out instructions to his young team. He's also wearing a red jersey. He was Mohamed Salah's PE teacher at school.
4: Mohamed had a very small body, but he was very skillful. He's a left-footed player. He used to score from long distances and take different positions in the pitch. We expected him to be a star, but he went far beyond our expectations. We are living a dream because of him.
0: When Salah started his professional career, he used to travel four hours each way, five days a week, to get to his football club in Cairo for training. Remembering those days is Ahmed, his school friend and now a barber. He says Salah was always humble and cheerful. He always
14: used to dream of joining the Egyptian Football League and then play abroad. When he comes back here, he forgets that he is a star. He forgets about Liverpool or Rome. He is just our friend and we are all equal.
0: Nobody would have heard of Negrig if it wasn't for Muhammad Salah. It's like many Egyptian towns where people try to get by. But there is the buzz of building here. In the center, a new school is being built, and not with state funding. This is Muhammad Salah's charity. Hassan Bakr is in charge.
15: The people here had already started to collect money to build the school. But when Salah knew, he and his father decided to fund the whole project. They even asked mosques to call on residents not to pay a
16: penny.
0: I'm now back in Cairo and Negri feels a long way away. But everywhere I turn I see Muhammad Salah's face. I am at a street market which sells special lanterns for Ramadan with Muhammad Salah's face on them. There are mugs, t-shirts, posters, keyrings, a lot of stuff. I've just bumped into a mother with her two little boys. They were browsing the market. They want lanterns, cushions and small tablecloths. I'm definitely going to get them. My kids adore
2: Salah. He's a very good person and deserves to be loved by both adults and
13: children.
0: That's the magic of Mohamed Salah. He unites Egyptians from all backgrounds. He has won fans across the world with his success on and off the pitch. But it's us Egyptians who will be cheering the loudest.
1: That report by the BBC's Sally Nabil. More than 15 people have reportedly died and thousands displaced in northern Somalia after heavy rains caused by Tropical Cyclone Saga rigged havoc in the Horn of Africa over the weekend. Channel Africa spoke to Davis Okoko, Regional Emergency Response Manager at the Norwegian Refugee Council, to get the latest.
16: Currently in Djibouti there are 20,000 people that are affected. Uh, by Cyclone Saga, and 10,000 10, people in Somaliland. In addition to that, uh, homes and fishing boats have been destroyed, destroyed in Puntland. Uh, generally, the number of uh, the mortality may or may not rise, depending on the after effect of the flood because most of the effects of the floods happen after the flood have passed. So, we are putting a conservative figure as just water but uh, we'll keep monitoring and getting updates from
4: the things. This is the biggest storm to hit the region, Davis, in years, and thousands, we understand, have been displaced. I can imagine the situation must be dire at the moment. Are the most affected getting the necessary humanitarian
16: assistance? Within 72 hours, uh, we did a rapid uh, need assessment soon after the storm had uh, first. And uh, we realized that the most affected areas were for intervention was uh, water and sanitation because most of the water sources have been inundated. Then uh, some of the people that were living in uh, settlements for displaced people, uh, their shelters were not strong enough to withstand the heavy winds. So we need shelters for the affected people and then, of course, now that uh, most of them were on uh, food aid, they require food and medical assistance. Those are the priority areas. But of course, in areas like Djibouti, schools have been flooded and uh, the authorities have been very, very instrumental in trying to pump water out of schools. But you find that most of these uh, schools also are affected by the sanitation facilities being flooded. so They will have to rehabilitate them in uh, not time before they resume
4: What kind of assistance can the international community offer here, Uh, Davis?
16: Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, The classes have not affected the vulnerable people. Actually, uh, in most of the areas where we are operating, our teachers have been ensuring that we have access. To all the areas that we need to operate, and therefore it has not affected any of these operations in the affected area.
4: Has this disaster come as a shock to the region, Devish, or was it
16: expected? Uh, The disaster, Cyclone Sagar, was tracked from the Indian Ocean, and um, in as much as the Arabian Sea does not get cyclones that much, there is a history that. uh, Several, after several years, there's always one big event. So in as much as we can say, it was not expected within this period. But if you look at history, there's been a, a one or two cyclones that have been had. To be so we can say that, yes, it was predictable, and we, we were able to track it as it was coming across the Indian Ocean. Although initially uh, the track was showing that if it would go towards the NM, but I think because of the mountainous area, the NM site, it deflected towards the LGBT, from and everything.
1: That's Davis Okoko, East Africa Regional Manager at the Norwegian Refugee Council on the line from Nairobi in Kenya, talking to Kumbero Munzerere. Time now for our news headlines with Joala Nitulo.
2: Thank you, Amanda. Making headlines, three suspected jihadists have been killed and one captured on Tuesday in a pre-dawn raid by security forces on a house in Burkina Faso's capital, Ouagadougou. South Africa's opposition PAC has called on government authorities to declare the 25th of May a public holiday as the African continent commemorates the establishment of the Organization of African Unity, which later became the AU. And finally, the United Nations says violence in Libya is having a devastating impact on healthcare. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
1: Thank you, Jolani. The 2017 Intercensor Demographic Survey ICDS for Zimbabwe was launched in the capital today, showing an increase in the infant mortality and no major changes in the maternal mortality. In Zimbabwe, ICDS survey is conducted in between censuses, but experts have warned government the country is experiencing an information gap. This could be affecting the vulnerable, the unemployed, and youths who face challenges related to high fertility and infant and maternal mortality in the country, Sama Muchema reports
15: from Harare. At a time when Zimbabwe, under the leadership of President Emerson Mnangagwa, is advocating for a middle-income nation by 2030, the 2017 Intercensor Demographic Survey has revealed this could be a challenge. Already the survey launched by the United Nations Population Fund, UNFPA, Zimbabwe National Statistical Agents Zimstat in Harare Tuesday revealed statistics may not be helping the youth much. The infant mortality increased from 52 per 1,000 live births to 72 deaths. The maternal mortality went down slightly to 525 deaths from 614 per 100,000 live births, according to the survey. UNFPA country representative Dr. Esther Muyua expressed concern over the increased deaths at a time when the country should be doing much better. The
8: figures are changing, but at a slower rate than they could be. So one of the things is no woman should really die while giving birth to a life. And therefore it means who is dying? Why are they dying? And like I've just said, the younger people are the ones who are giving birth. Because you cannot become a maternal death statistic if you are not pregnant. So who is getting pregnant? And if they're getting pregnant so often, It means they are putting themselves at more risk. They become more vulnerable and have the higher risk of dying during either pregnancy or childbirth or immediately thereafter. So maternal mortality, although it's decreasing, it could do better. And that's why with government, they are working very hard and we are supporting to see how can we reduce maternal deaths.
15: Government was urged to improve child health in order for the country to curb both maternal mortality and infant mortality, Dr. Esther Muyua said. I
8: say uh, child health because when you get pregnant, it's the positive outcome that you're looking forward to. A live child who is alive and well. However, if a woman keeps losing her children, what will she do? She'll keep getting pregnant and wanting to at least get one that will survive two, three, isn't it? And in doing that, she's again putting herself at risk because she probably gets pregnant before she completely recovers from the previous pregnancy. So that's how they are interrelated because it's not just about getting pregnant, but it's about having a live baby that will grow and continue the generations
15: ahead the UNFPA boss added.
8: In Zimbabwe, the number of children that a woman could give to during her her reproductive period, which is between the age of 15 and 49, 50, is really about 1.8, meaning on average about two children during the whole cycle. However, that's not what the Intersensor Demographic and Health Survey is showing. It's showing four, which is twice the number. And therefore it was important to find out who is it who is giving birth and it turns out it's the much younger the adolescents why because this is the group that is most productive most sexually active however it means there's a problem somewhere in access to them managing to have to give birth when they want how many children they want therefore Do they have enough information?
15: According to the survey report, poverty could be driving young girls and women into giving birth when the health service delivery is not accessible or crumbling. As such, the Zimstad director, Dr. Mutasa Zinotizei, called on government to create meaningful employment that comes with benefits such as medical schemes.
13: Or these on-account workers fall either they are underemployed and all fall into the category of vulnerable employment. These, the latter, are typically those workers who are less likely to have formal work arrangements and are therefore more likely to lack elements associated with decent work, such as adequate social security, pensions, and medical aid benefits. They are in the category of vulnerable employment. They have contributed something to the gross domestic product. They've produced a good or a service, but they are at the, at the workplace. They don't have access to these variables we've talked about. And many people really would want to call them unemployed. This is the context in which we should see the ILO, which is the UN department responsible for labor statistics, Sclerion call for decent work programs in developing economies.
15: The UNFPA boss said Zimbabwe could do much better for its youths.
13: You can see where we are lagging
8: behind, but I am an optimist. I believe we can catch up. And the only way we can catch up is to look at how does Zimbabwe deliberately adopt policies to transform the youth bulge. Two-thirds of the population in Zimbabwe now is young people. And let's not look at this bulge as an issue, but let's look at this bulge as an
15: opportunity. Meanwhile, according to the survey, life expectancy almost doubled to 60 years for both sexes, while total country's population slightly increased to 13.6 million. In Harare, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa.
17: The two-day Africa Shared Value Summit is modeled on the successful Shared Value Leadership Summit held annually in New York, America. Shift Social Development, the team of women behind the summit, aims to create an annual platform where Shared Value practitioners can share their stories and influence businesses and brands in the creation of Shared Value, thus embodying their mantra, Profit with Purpose. On the 24th and the 25th of May, Channel Africa will broadcast live from the event taking place at the Maslow Conference Center in Santin, Johannesburg, South Africa. Tune into Africa Dialogue on the 24th of May at 1100 hours central african time when we will look at building business for the future then on friday the 25th of may join gateway to africa also at 1100 hours central african time for another live broadcast looking at shaping africa's future channel africa bringing you the african perspective
1: The Gavi Alliance says the deployment of the experimental Ebola vaccine to the Democratic Republic of Congo this week could give a vital boost to efforts to contain the disease. The public-private global health partnership has joined a number of organizations in a vaccination campaign that seeks to curtail the spread of the disease. Gavi says is providing 1 million US dollars towards the vaccination drive. This is the ninth time Ebola has been recorded in the DRC since the disease made its first known appearance near the Central African country's northern Ebola river in the 1970s. More from James Falker, media manager at the Gavi Alliance.
18: Now we call this an experimental vaccine, but we have to be clear that this has been through phase three trials, so that means it's been through trials with humans over an extended period of time. It's been shown to be safe, it's been shown to be a hundred percent effective as well in those trials, with quite a large confidence interval, but we know that it does work. So we using it in this outbreak, we really do think this could really help the response, help to contain the outbreak and hopefully help to save lives.
3: Now for those who are not familiar with this ring vaccination method that has been used in this outbreak, what is it and how does it differ from mass immunization?
18: So, ring vaccination is a much more targeted approach. So, for those familiar with how we normally do vaccine campaigns, we try to do mass immunisation. So, we try to immunise as many people as we can in an area, in a country, to try and get rid of a disease. With the ring vaccination, what we're doing is essentially targeting people who come into contact with Ebola cases, so people who have been infected with Ebola. So, what we aim to do is to vaccinate all health workers who might come into contact. That's really important because they are some of the most vulnerable people, incredibly brave people trying to fight these disease but we also try to monitor and investigate who each case each person infected with Ebola may have come into contact with and then we try to reach out to them with the vaccine we try to reach out to anybody who's then come in contact with them so it's a much more complex way of doing it but it can actually really really help to bring an end to an outbreak because what you're essentially doing is creating a ring around the people who have been infected with the disease to stop it from spreading any further.
3: James, how many doses of the vaccine have been made available in this vaccination drive and is Gavi funding every single one of them?
18: So what we've done, we've been working with the manufacturer Merck, based in the US, to create a stockpile essentially of 300,000 doses. Now, 100,000 doses of them are ready to go at any time, so they're ready to be shipped out now. The other 200,000 are also will be ready shortly. And what we've done so far, we've delivered around seven and a half thousand. There'll be about another. There'll be more coming, so we think there'll be more from the stockpile being delivered to DRC all the time until we end this outbreak. And we think it's really essential. We think this could be a really important part of the response. It's the first time this vaccine has been used in an outbreak, and we really hope this could be a powerful weapon against Ebola to stop these kind of outbreaks from ever happening again.
3: Are there any critical gaps you think that stand in the way of using this vaccine before it receives approval?
18: So at the moment it's going through a licensing process. So as I said it's already gone through the important trials that need to be done to make sure it's safe, to make sure that it's effective. We know that it is both those things. It is a safe vaccine and it is an effective vaccine. Now all that needs to happen is it needs to be tested for things like shelf life to find out how it can be stored. We need to find out how long it actually lasts for, how long it's effective for. We know it's effective in the short term, how could it be effective for years maybe so those kind of things are what they're working on now before it achieves full licensure but because we know it's safe and effective we know it's good for use during this outbreak and we hope it can make a difference
3: and how much of a logistical challenge do you think it's going to be to get this vaccine to the people who need it most
18: it's a huge logistical challenge. I mean, this is a vaccine that needs to be stored between minus 60 and minus 80 degrees centigrade, which is obviously tough in a country, in a region where there's very little electricity, there's very few paved roads. So getting this vaccine to the people who desperately need it is going to be a massive challenge. But we think we're up for it. We're working with the World Health Organization, with Sans Frontier, and of course, the DRC government, who have been amazing in really supporting the use of this vaccine. So we're confident that we can get it out there to the people who need it. And yeah, hopefully make it difference.
3: Overall how would you sum up the work that the Gavi Alliance is doing you know to help contain the Ebola outbreak in the DRC?
18: So Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, we're working hard to make sure this vaccination campaign is a success. So we've provided $1 million to fund the campaign itself. That's to make sure these vaccines can get to the people who need it. And that's to fund health workers in the country, both from the DRC and from organisations like the World Health Organisation. And we've also worked hard with the manufacturer of the vaccine to make sure there are enough doses to really make a difference. So we've got 100,000 ready to go. We've got another 200,000 prepared. So we're confident that we have enough doses to hopefully help bring this outbreak under control.
1: That's James Falker, media manager at the Gavi Alliance, talking to Elizabeth Lidicha. It's approaching 1745 Central African time. We send Matabula standing by with our Economics News.
12: Good evening. Thanks, Amanda. China says it will cut the tariffs it charges on imported cars from next month in the latest sign of easing tensions over trade with the US. The existing tariffs will drop from 25 to 15%. The BBC's Robin Brent has more.
18: China has confirmed what its President Xi Jinping promised in a speech last month that it will now cut to 15% the tariff it levies on foreign passenger cars coming in. President Trump has long called for such a move. Now there are reports of a politically more significant deal in the making between the two countries, that the U.S. could agree to resume exporting its microchips to the Chinese mobile maker ZTE if China increases its agricultural imports from America in return.
12: And over 1.5 billion U.S. dollars is lost to fraud, waste and abuse in South Africa's medical schemes each year. A national anti-corruption strategy has been launched to investigate maladministration, malpractice and corruption as the country gears up for the launch of the national health insurance. The Board of healthcare Funders and the Council for Medical Schemes has held a briefing to look at the role the private sector will play in rolling out the NHI. Chairperson of the Council for South African Medical Schemes Clarence Mini.
7: Between 10 and 15% of the money we collect from schemes goes towards uh, fraud, waste and abuse. And we think the estimate has been about 20 billion rand goes towards fraud. And we were very worried. And that directly contributes to escalating healthcare costs. Because if money is siphoned out, the people, the, the members themselves end up paying more. Because of the money that has been siphoned out by illegal, Ill- illegal means.
12: And South Africa's Finance Minister, Anshlan Nene, has told Parliament that it appears that economic growth will be higher than previously predicted. He was delivering his budget vote in Parliament during the tabling of the national budget in February. The GDP was projected to be 1.5% in 2018. However, Nene says indications are that uh, these figures will improve due to improved uh, business and consumer confidence as well as favourable economic climate.
13: For the first time in a very long time, it appears that economic growth will be higher than projected at the time of the budget review. That is thanks to the improved business and consumer confidence and a favorable global economic backdrop. This favorable momentum is an opportunity for us to build upon, but we should not be lulled into a false sense of security. We must continue to rebuild our resilience to ensure that we can respond to exogenous shocks that may arise from geopolitical events or volatile, volatile financial markets.
12: Some companies news now, a British oil giant BP plans uh, to cut 3% of jobs in exploration and production as part of a restructuring of its a global upstream business to make the division more efficient and competitive. BP says the cuts of around 540 jobs from the company's 18,000 strong total upstream workforce will be carried out by the end of the year. The move is part of an ongoing process to simplify the company structure and increase efficiency following the 50 billion US dollars worth of divestments over the recent years. And petrol and diesel prices touched a lifetime high in India where national oil firms jacked up prices for the seventh straight day. Prices were on hold for a month as the country's ruling party was reluctant to upset voters ahead of a crucial assembly elections which just ended in the southern states of India. Rana reports.
10: And as consumers fumed and businesses stared at cost overruns, the government said it was looking at ways to rein in fuel prices. But ruling BGP party spokesman Vishwas Parthak argued that could happen only if cars use solar power.
6: Prices are going up. It is really tortures for every citizen. But we cannot change the construct because our priority is development of the country. Indians
10: must wait until 2030 for that to happen.
12: Financial indicators now, we start with the dollar, which is at uh, 9.84 Botswana Pula and 10.13 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, the dollar is at 7.31 Brazilian real, at 62.2 Russian ruble, at 68.8 Indian rupee and 6.38 Chinese yuan, and also at uh, 12.76 South African rands. In European currencies, it's trading at 74 pence to the British pound and 85 cents against the euro. Commodities gold $1,288. Platinum $891 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil is at $78.57 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now.
1: It's time now for our sports news with Musibuji Makura.
5: Thank you Amanda. Good evening sports fans and starting off with football news. Mamalodi Sundowns head coach Bito Musamana says CAF Champions League remains their biggest challenge than any other cup competition on the football calendar. Now the Sundowns mentor led the team to clinch the 2017-2018 Absa Premiership League spoke highly of his side ahead of the all-important CAF Champions League match against Horoya FC at the Stadio do 28 September Stadium in Conakry in Guinea tonight.
14: Our challenge is, is not retaining, uh, to retain the cup, it's the Champions League. That, that's what gives us problems. It's not that we cannot do it. You know, we lost with three points last year. in the Champions League. That's the, that's, that's the challenge, you know. And obviously the cups that are in between, also local cups, you know and you know how difficult it is for us to say no we don't want this cup our supporters want the cup you know but if you look at um, all the teams that compete against us even in the uh, in the Champions League like WIDAD um, and one uh, whatever I was speaking to them in Morocco all they do is they play the FA Cup which is to us is an event Cup and they play the league and Champions League so they focus on those three but here yeah, the Stop 8, the Stelcom, you know, and also the international games. So we always have problems with injuries at the end and we lose a lot of players. But fortunately this year we finished very well with not with a lot of injuries.
5: Striker Harry Kane will wear the captain's armband for England at next month's World Cup. Ending speculation about who will lead Gareth Southgate's squad in Russia. Now England's last full-time captain was Wayne Rooney, but the armband has been worn by several players since the former Manchester United forward lost his place in the squad. Now Kane, who scored 30 Premier League goals for Tottenham Hotspur this season, has 23 caps for England and netted 12 times. England will face Tunisia, Panama as well as Belgium at the World Cup in which they will send their third youngest squad to a major tournament with the average age being 26 years old. Now to rugby news, Botswana will host the 2018 Africa Women's Sevens Tournament over two days starting this coming Saturday. Ten national teams will be competing for a title of African champions and to qualify for the next Olympic Games. The teams are Zambia, Kenya, Mauritius, Madagascar, Senegal, Tunisia, Morocco, Zimbabwe, Uganda as well as the host Botswana. Now a team of female referees will overlook the tournament with two referees from South Africa one from Uganda, one from Zimbabwe and another one from Madagascar Now looking at the pools, Pool 1 comprises of Kenya, Madagascar as well as Senegal, while Pool 2 has a Tunisia, Uganda as well as Zimbabwe. Pool 3 Morocco, Botswana, Mauritius as well as Zambia now on to tennis news: Rising South African teenager, uh, rather tennis sensation, Lloyd Harris has beaten, uh, rather was beaten in the first round of the qualifying at the French Open earlier today. The 21-year-old Capetonian lost 6-4, 6-3 to Canadian teenager Felix Agu Alessandri, who is a former U.S. Open junior champion. Now Harris ranked 213 this week on the ATP singles rankings was playing in his first Grand Slam qualifying event. Two South Africans will however be in charge in the main draw of the French Open in the men's singles event. Kevin Anderson is uh, seeded sixth while the men's doubles, Raven Clausen as well as his New Zealand partner Michael Venus will pair up in the tournament. And finally in boxing news, American boxer Eric Molina has been suspended for two years after testing positive to a banned substance following the heavyweight uh, fight with Anthony Joshua back in December 2016. The 36-year-old tested positive for the prohibited substance dexamethosin. Now, the steroid is permitted by the World Anti-Doping Agency. Out of competition, Molina was uh, stopped in the third round as Joshua successfully defended his IBF heavyweight title in Manchester. Now The UK Anti-Doping Agency Chief Nikolai um, Substead says every athlete is solely responsible for what it is um, for what is in their system and must adhere to the strict liability principle. Now Molina's ban runs from the date of the provisional suspension, which was uh, the 28th of October 2017, until midnight the 27th of October 2019. That's our sports news at the sour Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective.
1: It's four minutes before 6 p.m. Central African time. Recapping our top stories on Africa Digest this hour, the majority of Basutu wanted Isutu to establish a union with South Africa, and the 2017 Inter-Sensile Demographic Survey for Zimbabwe shows an increase in infant mortality. That wraps up Africa Digest from myself, Amanda Machaga, producer Leanda Maome technical producer Adrian Kenny, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you for listening. You can send us your comments on the show. The email address is info at Our WhatsApp number is 76 2776-300-3327. And our Twitter handle is at channelafrica1. Taking us to the top of the hour is a song by Ricky Rick featuring a Caspany vest titled Stay Shiny
19: there, I'm Oh, 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 oh. oh God, it's I singing for money. For money. I'm singing Okay now we're pause the on back hey, I got come on your I get ko muniya shine, ko majaenga. I get ko muniya no majaenga. I get ko muniya oni ngo no jenga. 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 Yeah. Unkulunkulu number one. My name is Richie Vickstar. Hey, you me no the yard, guys? i end up. My name is Richie